Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Welcome back into another edition of The Fourth Man. Appreciate everyone who's tuning in. This is episode 52. And not a lot of news going on, but we do have an exclusive great interview coming up at the end of this episode. But as always, I'm Anthony, and I'm alongside the best Big 3 account in the universe. You guys know him. Big 3 News, a.k.a. Will. Will, what's going on over there? What's up, Anthony? Super excited um, about this interview that we have a really cool guy that we're here with. Uh, unfortunately, we really don't have any news to break down with you. We're still awaiting that announcement that was teased a little bit like two weeks ago, I believe it was teased. So, you know, tease. I, re- I really hope that we get that sooner rather than later. But I think in the meantime, I think we have an excellent interview for the people. 100%. And I'm telling you, I really do think it's a Christmas show. But before we get to that interview, if you want to find the show, if you want to find our personal handles, as always, it's at Fourth Man Pod, at Big Three News, at A underscore Siggy. And if you want to watch the show instead of listen to the show, you can find us on YouTube, youtube.com slash Fourth Man Pod. Make sure you subscribe, leave feedback. We always love that as well. And for those of you tuning in for the first time or your repeat listener on Dash Radio on the Nothing But Net channel, appreciate you guys as always as well that was a lot of ass a lot of ass in there but whole lot of ass <laughs> <laughs> without further ado we got a special guest coming on here number one mellow supporter king of the mellow community steve from control the narrative all right cool Today, we're pleased to have on the founder of Control the Narrative, Steve Sakonikis. We appreciate you coming on, bro. We know you do a lot of good stuff in your space, and we want to say you're the reason you brought Melo to Portland there, got him back on the NBA track. So appreciate you coming on. How's everything going with you? Yeah, everything's good, man. Um, you know, I like to think that, you know, I was the reason we just, like, quickly talked off camera. Uh, and, like, I think it's more of, like, what you just said, like, uh, you know, bringing the, the Mellow community together and shit like that because – you know, during that year, it was like, you know, I started like doubting myself. I was like, damn, like, do I know basketball? Like, is Melo really washed and like, shit like that. But, you know, hearing other people, uh, you know, have the same opinion on it as you, it was kind of validating, but appreciate you guys having me on and uh, really fuck with what you guys are doing. Like we were just talking again off camera, the whole like niche podcast, uh, because it's just different and it's not just like the same old fucking NBA show, which is cool, but like, you know, having like a different um, take to it. 100%. Appreciate that. And yeah, I mean, we were one of those people that were secretly hoping that Melo would not return to the NBA just because for our own selfish reasons, we'd love to see him play in a league like the big three or kind of take that the Joe Johnson route before Joe Johnson then. But let's talk a little bit about control the narrative first. I mean, for those who have never heard or listen to any of your content and what you brought to the table, how would you kind of describe what you're doing and, and what was kind of the purpose initially behind the brand? Yeah. Uh, so I guess I'll start like from the beginning where, you know, Mello was obviously out of the league for, for no reason whatsoever. Like um, 
I think I know the reason, which I go into a little bit on uh, the Black Bolt doc, uh, you know, shameless plug there, blackbolt.com, where we kind of talk about what we think happened, like in the back end and, and involves an assistant coach in Houston. But um, it really started with that, like him being out of the league. There was, you know, he, his narrative was on the decline uh, in OKC um, and even in the beginning of Houston, even just coming off the fence. So I think there was just so much slander around this dude's name when uh, when it's all said and done, he's going to be a top 10 scorer at least all time. So you just think about that. Like there won't be 10 people in the history of basketball that have scored more points than him. And he was just being treated like he was just washed and, um, you know, never elite because obviously he was drafted with LeBron. So people are always going to compare to LeBron when Melo never played uh, with anybody even close to the quality that LeBron had in terms of teammates and, and his prime. But um, so it started with that, like the narrative around Melo, which was legit keeping him out of a job, in my opinion. And it actually all started with a hashtag. It was hashtag change the Melo narrative. Because I was like, I was on Twitter just tweeting bullshit, whatever. Like, yo, did you know that Melo averaged 20 points per game during these four games on Houston, whatever. And I wanted to start a podcast. I, I just ended like another company that I was doing. So I was like, all right, you know, I want to start a podcast about Melo and, you know, just control the narrative and just like flow to me. And honestly, it really just started as like a way to try to change that narrative, control it and make people think better of him. Because I figured like, all right, shit, maybe people think more highly of this guy and like not even more highly, but just like remember who the fuck he is. Right. Uh, then like that narrative will change. He'll get back in the league. And, you know, even when he got back in the league, uh, you know, that first game, I think he went four for 14, scored 10 points. And like, everyone's like, yo, see, I told you this dude's watching. And like less than two weeks later, he went Western Conference Player of the Week. So, you know, after that, I was just like, I feel like I got to continue it at this point. Um, but it's a weekly podcast. We post um, just like all types of mellow content, stats, memes, highlights, shit like that um every day on instagram and twitter uh we just came out the documentary like i quickly mentioned um two months ago following the narrative throughout his career so really just taking a different approach at it not just be like oh what do you think of trey young last night and what do you think of luca like everyone's talking about that shit like william uh said right before he got on so i think it's just like kind of taking a different approach looking at the narrative of one of the most underappreciated players of all time and just like making content on it. No, for sure. I mean, it definitely is weird, right? How quickly guys forget. Like we're sort of seeing it now where obviously the man just got paid so it's, and he's on a team, so it is different. We're almost seeing with Paul George, right? Like people were very quick to praise Paul George, you know, when he almost won MVP in OKC, and now all of a sudden he's a bum and, you know, the Clippers <laughs> should be trying to get rid of him at everything. So where – where sort of did your relationship with Carmelo Anthony, like as a fan, begin? Was was it in Syracuse? Was it New York? I see the Knicks poster in the back. Was it in Denver? Where did that start for you? Um, it started in 2004. So I was born and raised on Long Island, New York. Uh, grew up a Knicks fan, obviously. And you know, as a 10 year old, I was 10 years old at the time. Um, you know, me and I have a younger brother, two years younger, so we would always like play video games and shit. And, as a 10-year-old, you don't want to play with a shitty team because, like, what? it's not fun. Like, you just can't win. Like, you can't win with all these fucking bums that the Knicks had on their roster back in the day. So uh, I wanted to play with a different team. So it was actually this game right here. 
uh, NBA Live 2005 oh, nice. for PS2. Classic. So, uh, OG, but that, there was a guy named Carmelo Anthony on the front who played for the Nuggets. I'm like, you know what? Let me try this guy out. Fuck it. Like, he has to be good if he's on the cover of the game. Tried him out, balled out with him. Uh, you know, started watching his games. Obviously, he was playing in Denver, and I'm on the East Coast. So I would, like, stay up from 10.30, and my mom would come in at, like, 11. But, like, Steven, you got to go to sleep. And I'm like, the first quarter just ended. Like, please let me watch. So I would, like, stay up late watching his games. Uh, my mom bought me a jersey of his. And then, obviously, like, when he came to the Knicks, that was just, like, a, it wasn't even a dream, a dream come true because I never even, like, thought about it. I was just like, all right, well, you know, I'm a Mellow fan, and then, like, my favorite team is the Knicks or whatever. Um, but, yeah, he came here, and obviously, like, my fandom went to another level and volunteered at a couple of his camps, formed, like, somewhat of a relationship with them. Uh, and, you know, I, I tell a story about, like, the first time I met him, I was so nervous because this was back in 2013. So I was, he was like my idol for nine years at the time. And not just like, oh, like, you know, I like him. He's my favorite player. Like I, like I was, everybody who, who knew me, like the first thing they associated me with was Mellow whenever they saw Mellow. <laughs> oh, Steve. Like it was just like, it was like that, like in school and shit like that. So um, first time I met him, so nervous uh, and not even like, oh my God, like I'm finally going to meet him. It was more just like, if he's a dick, like, it's gonna just crush me. I was like, like, all nine years of watching all these games and, like, defending him in the cafeteria, and, like, I'm gonna be crushed, so went up to him, put my hand out, it's like, hey, Melo, like, what's going on? My name's Steven. I was, like, legit, like, shaking, and my hand was up for probably, like, half a second, because he was, like, sitting down on a chair, but it felt like it was up for half an hour, and he, like, turned around, dabbed me up, and he just, like, couldn't have been more cool which was just like such a, a sigh of relief. He was like, not even to me, but like taking pictures with all the kids, like playing around with them and shit. So uh, it was definitely, I definitely breathed a, a sigh of relief because it was just like, it, it could have been so bad. But then obviously, you know, the rest of the Knicks days, I would watch fucking every game, would go to a bunch of games and then, you know, still a Knicks fan, but uh, obviously root for him wherever he goes to this day. That's awesome. Yeah, that's sick. And and I think, I mean, kind of in your sense, I mean, my name's Anthony. So I rocked the mellow jersey early on in my career just because I was like, oh, I just want his name on the back. And I, I, I mean, there's, there's weird reasons why you follow different players. But I mean, even, even outside of that, I mean, like everyone would rock. We're going to hold out for Sigismund. No, I, I don't think that one was no. going to come up anytime soon. So I had to just rock the, the mellow one. But yeah, I mean, different reason, you know, everyone's in the schoolyards rocking 15. And it's like, oh, yeah, I'm rocking it because of mellow. So how do you how do you not root for a guy like that? And I'll, yep. and I'll tell you what, like, I, I'm a big Harden guy. So I, I'm kind of like you in the sense I follow him wherever he goes. And that's always been my biggest fear is like, what if this dude's a dick? And just the way the media is portraying him now, I'm like, this dude's a dick, huh? He's, he's going to suck <laughs> if I ever meet him, huh? But yeah, it's scary. So that's awesome that, you know, like your idol ended up being you know, someone that you can continue to idolize and, and, and root for. And yeah. we followed his career a little bit. And, you know, because I, I do follow Harden, you know, I was excited when Melo came to the Rockets and obviously disappointed with how the fallout came. And, and you kind of detailed that in your blackball documentary there. What went on, you know, what was the process of building and, and constructing that documentary and, and, you know, behind the scenes, I mean, what is it like to even, even make a documentary, you know, just about someone who's, career is so detailed in a different way than, than you detailed it. Right. 
Yeah, no, it was, it was, uh, I've obviously never done anything like that before. Like went to school for computer science and like, um, you know, did stuff on the side and I work in marketing now. So nothing relating to like filmmaking or anything, but, um, when COVID like really became a thing in, in March of this year, uh, like the whole NBA stopped. And one of the thing, one of the first things that I thought of honestly was like, what the fuck is going to happen to control? Because obviously all the games were suspended until further notice. I didn't know like at the time, if that meant two weeks, two months, like a year, like I really had no idea. So I was thinking, I was like, fuck, like what can we do to bridge this gap? With, like, and I, I didn't know how long it was going to be. So the last dance was coming out and I think May it came out. So that was like kind of fresh in people's mind, like, yo, you know, two months, the Jordan documentary is coming out and all that. And I had I, always thought like, yo, it would be mad cool for there to be a mellow documentary. Like there was one from back in the day that he uh, had a part in, it was called Carmelo's Way, but it was just like the training and like back end. So um, I didn't want to make a documentary where it was just like the highlights of his career, because you could find that on YouTube and shit like that, people come up with that, but really wanted to follow the narrative. So it's like, yo, that would be cool. So I have I have two video editors with me that help me edit the podcast uh, and like the little clips and subtitle everything and, and put everything together. So I just pitched it to them. I was like, yo, I wanna come up with a documentary like while we really don't know what the fuck's going on. Um, and like, they didn't even hesitate. They were like, yo, that sounds sick. So came up with the idea and then <laughs> like just google shit i was like yo how do people make documentaries They're like well first you need like an outline so i was like all right let me come up with an outline seven chapters like perfect early denver late denver early new york late new york okc houston portland i was like good like um we're good there and then just like all right what is going to be the plot what are we trying to trying to say and you know just just did a bunch of research with them and like trying to get on the same page and in the beginning um we were struggling like it took I think almost like two months for us to finish chapter one and like each chapter is seven minutes long. So we're not talking like, you know, an hour long uh, episode or chapter like the Jordan documentary was, but each chapter is seven minutes long. So uh, it took us like two months. Then it took us a month and a half for the second chapter, then a month for the third chapter. And then, you know, three weeks for the fourth one or whatever. And obviously, you know, you pick it up and you start to get in a groove, but it was, uh, it was really cool. Um, you know, ideally wanted it, wanted to release it before the season resumed, but then, you know, once, and I didn't want to compete with the NBA for attention. because so I was like, yo, if I'm a mellow fan, like I'm not trying to watch this documentary over like the Blazers playoff game. So like, I get it. So I was like, all right, let's wait till the season's over. And then it kind of worked honestly, cause the ending, um, you know, it's not spoiling it cause you kind of know what happens and, and the season in Portland, but you know, the, the Blazers made the playoffs against all odds and mellow hit clutch shot after clutch shot in the bubble and shit like that. So it worked. Uh, it's something that maybe one day, hopefully next season, if, uh, you know, he wins a championship with Portland, maybe there's like a chapter eight or some shit, but it was, uh, it was cool to like learn and, and really start something from the scratch and like a literally a seven month long project. So a lot of just learning, testing shit out, falling, getting back up and like the, the cliche shit, but um, definitely interesting uh, project. Were there things about Carmelo Anthony or aspects of his career that you learned about for the first time, maybe through the process of making this documentary, something that maybe you're like, Oh, I didn't know that. 
Uh, to be honest, no. <laughs> like, <laughs> I, 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 I respect it. <laughs> like, I, I knew everything. Like, I wrote the scripts. Like, I kind of knew exactly what, like, I wanted to say. Okay. Um, maybe, like, the one thing is uh, the whole, like, Jeff Bizdelic thing, um, which was, to me, the reason. Like, I'd always thought that, but, like, actually really diving into it and being like, yo, damn, this dude was my coach in Denver, and, you know, he threatened to bench the guy who – should have won at least at least co-rookie of the year. I don't care what anybody says about that shit. Like he had very similar numbers to LeBron and Melo's team made the playoffs in the West. LeBron's team did not make the playoffs in the East. Anyway, uh, you know, he threatened to bench Melo during that rookie of the year campaign uh, in my eyes. And then, you know, later in December, he got fired. And then this dude still held a grudge um, 15 years later when Melo got to Houston because like the timeline is, is it matches up perfectly. I think it's like Melo signed in August to Houston. Jeff Bizdelic suddenly retired in September. Like I think it was less than a month later. They announced uh, Melo and the Rockets are parting ways. That's what they called it. They really just told them you're not going to be in the rotation anymore. And then I think it was a week or eight days later, Bizdelic suddenly unretired. He's like, you know what? fuck it, like, I'm going to come back to Houston. So just the way shit lined up, I guess, like, I knew about it because obviously, like, we put it in there and, like, I planned to put it in there, but just really looking at it and spending time and thinking, like, this is such an untold truth, in my opinion, and, like, nobody knows about it. All people know is, like, oh, well, he sucked in Houston. He really didn't. Like, I'm not sitting here saying that he balled out in Houston, but he wasn't fucking terrible. If you look at Eric Gordon's numbers for the first 10 games, they were way worse than Melo's, and they kept Eric Gordon, and obviously it's because of, like, financial reasons, but um, it's just weird how a guy who, you know, is a 10-time All-Star and, and all this shit, and I could go on and on, you know, took a backseat to come off the bench, and then after 10 games, the head coach comes out, and it's like, we tried everything we can. It's just not working. It's like, did you? So you're gonna blame the sixth man of the the, the sixth man of your team. So right. uh, I, I think it more more so than like I guess learning new things that like reinforced it. I guess. Okay. It almost like confirmed things for you. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. Well, we're seeing now in Houston the kind of the turmoil that's going on, and it, it's it's got to be a little bit funny in your eyes, just because you know I would love to hear what exactly happened in Houston, kind of like you, like you know you kind of found a little bit of why it could be the reason, but I would love for like players to come out and kind of explain that because like I said, I, I follow Harden and follow the Rockets and that was always confusing to me. And Eric Gordon, someone who's been one of the streakiest shooters on that team. And like you said, Melo was balling, had a really good game against the Nets um, during his time with the Rockets that I, that I remember pretty vividly. But I, I would love for like one of the players to come out and like maybe say something like, hey, this is actually what happened and that actually what happened. And we and, I mean, we saw what seven seven Rockets players, maybe six or seven Rockets players that came out showed frustration with their role or their reasoning. Yeah. Russ was traded. Harden wants out. I mean, th- that's those are big time names that are that aren't agreeing with what's going on. And not to mention the GM and head coach, they also said bye. So yeah, I'd be I'd be lying if I said when all that shit wasn't happening, I wasn't hyped. <laughs> like I saw, that, I was like, let's fucking go. Like exactly. Like yeah, they blame Melo though, but like. The coach is out. The GM is out. Westbrook traded. Like like you said, five or six players came out and was like, this isn't a good culture or environment and all that shit. Now Harden wants out. So um, I just thought it was funny how they blamed the sixth man for a four and six start. Well, One thing Mel- that I was um, – go ahead, Anthony. 
Well, I was just going to say now, now Melo's in a little bit better situation and, and, you know, he's with the Blazers year two, they brought him back. Blazers are in a good position, I think too. Uh, what's kind of your outlook on, on the Blazers seasons? I've, I've been listening to a little bit what you're saying just uh, on your own, on, own podcast there and obviously speaking very highly of them because of, of your following with Melo, but what's kind of your, your initial thought, you know, as we get closer to the NBA season here? Yeah, I'm, I'm extremely optimistic. Like, uh, in the bubble last year, they were the healthiest they were all season, and they fit, they went six and two in those bubble games, like every game being a playoff game, won that playing game, even won the first game against the Lakers, and then shit just kind of went downhill. Dame got hurt, Zach Collins got hurt, um, CJ had a broken, he pretty broken much had back a broken or something. Back. Yeah. yeah, and and he was, I know. yeah, <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Um, so so they weren't healthy, uh. And, you know, they really the one thing that they were missing besides health, obviously, was uh, wing defenders like they had Dame, uh, CJ, Mello, uh, Nurk and Gary Trent was even starting. So he's a little undersized at the three, but they were they were really missing wing defenders and they brought in Covington. They brought in Derek Jones Jr. who could play the um I'm, I'm missing it. Oh, Rodney Hood, they brought back. He's not necessarily a, a great defender, but he was a big part of their team before he went down with that Achilles injury last year. Uh, Mello is going to be coming off the bench now. So uh, they, they brought Cantor back from two years ago. Um, I think the one thing that they're missing still is a veteran point guard, like to back up Dame, because they have Simons now, who is, he, he's solid in terms of like, he could get buckets and, and he's quick and, and, and shit like that. But, they really need somebody to facilitate the offense behind Dame when Dame goes to the bench. CJ does that a lot. They kind of split um, split duties there. But uh, I, I'm really, really optimistic. Like, had the Lakers not gone out and improved the championship team, I think the Blazers have a legit championship to a legit championship, a legit chance to win the championship. And I still think they do. It's just like you're the Lakers, you win, and then you go out and you add fucking Montrezl Harrell, Dennis Schroeder, Wesley Matthews, Marcus Sol, and it's like, I, I, don't, I don't really know if anybody competes with that unless it's like Brooklyn. Um, but like, I think definitely top three seed for the Blazers this year. And then like, fuck it, you see what happens in the playoffs. Maybe Dame goes for, for 60 a few games. And like, obviously you can't count on that, but um, I, I think they're in a good spot. JJ Barea would be an interesting name the backup point there. I know that he just got released by the Mavs, but yeah, I mean, with Simons, someone I feel like I was high on coming out of the draft. It's just, I felt like he took a step back more than a step forward last year. Agreed. What do you think it was about Portland? Because um, I feel like there were some chatters that maybe Mello would have gone somewhere else. Like I know they're talking to him maybe going back to the Knicks or even going to Brooklyn to play with Katie and Kyrie, who he's really close to, or like maybe even the Lakers. But he stayed in Portland and he ultimately cited the culture and he said, I really feel like I found a home here. So what was it about that organization that you think he really clung to? Um, it's a good question. I think the main thing that like and this is like me basing my answer right here based on like his media availability and mm -hmm. just like kind of knowing his his career. Um, I think him just being comfortable and like, you know, finding a home like you said it, but especially with what's gone on for him the last few years like even dating back to the his last year with the Knicks you know Phil Jackson taking shots at him through the media um you know going on tv shows and saying Mello holds the ball too much 
apparently people were saying that he had like a, a ghostwriter that would write all these bad articles about Melo and, you know, try to try to light a fire on him and just all this weird shit. So his last year in New York was bad. OKC, that shit did not end well. Um, you know, they brought him there literally a day before training camp. Uh, and they really didn't have a plan for him. He just sat in the corner a lot of the years. And, like, he got a couple post-ups here and there. But um, just was sitting in the corner. So they didn't really have a plan for him. In Houston, their plan was to bring him off the bench and then scapegoat him after 10 games. So I think, like, especially with everything that he's been through over the past years, like three years, and being in Portland and them really embracing him and just, like, appreciating him, like, Nobody has done since really his early Knicks days. It just, it, it made so much sense. Also, because they're a winning team and they have a legit chance to win. Uh, like, he never wanted to leave the Knicks in the first place. And I still do believe that he'll come back and play his last year or two or whatever it is with, with the Knicks. But um, they have a chance to win. And to, to contribute on a team that has a chance to win is really all he's asked for. Um in his career, uh, especially the last few years, like I want to win, but I also want to be a part. I don't want to be the fucking ninth guy. And he, he should have never been the ninth guy. He still shouldn't be the sixth guy. Uh, but it's more of like a strategy thing where instead of him running out there for the first five or six minutes and maybe picking up like a foul or two and not getting a ton of shots, bring him, bring him off the bench, let him come in and just score and then play de- play some defense, grab some rebounds and shit like that. So, I think it's that more than anything, just having that comfortability. Uh, I don't even know if that's a word, comfortability. I don't know. Uh, Just like being comfortable in in Portland and and especially like having good relationships with Dame and CJ and like the the stars of the team when in Houston, I don't know if him and Harden were necessarily the best friends, best of friends. Uh, In OKC, it seemed like he was pretty close with them too, but just being comfortable in that environment with the team um, and also with his role on, on the team. I'm glad you brought up the Knicks because that got weird at the end. Like, <laughs> like just odd. You know what I mean? Like, like a lot of the math didn't add up. And I remember, well, first of all, I remember the first time things got weird was with Linsanity, where Jeremy Lin is doing fantastic. And then all of a sudden, all these things come out where Mello was pissed behind the scenes. And, you know, Mello doesn't want Jeremy Lin to get all these minutes. And then he comes out and he's like, no, actually, I've been very supportive of Jeremy Lin. Like, I don't know what the hell you guys are talking about. But then towards the end, then the same thing happened with Porzingis. Porzingis is good. Porzingis, oh, who's the new face of the team now? And then all of a sudden, it's like, you know, I remember it, I remember the worst thing that I saw the Knicks do was when Mello wasn't involved in any of the marketing material, like the upcoming season, or the season ticket holder stuff. So, like, you know, is that a James Dolan thing? Is that a Phil Jackson thing? What do you, what do you think happened there? Dolan has always been great to Mello. Dolan is the one who uh, who really like overruled uh, Glenn Grunwald and uh, who was the other GM at the time? It was Glenn Grunwald and I forgot who the president was. I don't think it was uh, I don't think it was Mills, but he pretty much like forced that mellow trade to happen from Denver in the first place. So Um, and there was even an instance where like I think it was other players or like the referees were saying some shit to Mello on the court during the games. And Dolan had mics like planted in on the court so he could record what people were saying to Mello and like go to the league with it. So from my understanding, Dolan has always been on Mello's side. Uh, and so much people, so many people talk shit about Dolan and I get it. He's egotistical. He, 
he's just a bad dude in a lot of ways, but I think it's never been his, let me say for the last eight years, it hasn't been his fault that the Knicks have sucked. Like he's hired fucking Phil Jackson. Like how nobody thought that was a bad hiring at first. Like I was like, all right, Phil Jackson is going to come in. Obviously he wasn't coaching, but um, you know, bringing somebody like that in, paying $12 million for a president to make like decisions and like instill a, a culture and all that. So I don't think it was uh, Dolan. I just think it all came down to Phil. Um, you know, Phil wanted Melo to be one way. And, you know, Melo, what, like, Melo averaged the most assists uh, in the season during, like, of his whole career. And uh, I think the first or second year Phil came in. So it's not like he was doing his own thing and being like, fuck what you're saying. Like, I'm doing my own thing. He tried doing it. It wasn't working. You brought in pieces that didn't fit the triangle. Like opening day, uh, Mello was out there. And opening day, not like 50 games into the season when a couple guys got hurt. Opening day, out there with guys like Jose Calderon, Sasha Vujicic, Shane Larkin, uh, Samuel D'Alembert. Like these are the type of guys that feels like we're gonna go. We're gonna go to war with these guys, uh, Mello, and like you can't expect them to win. So. It did get weird during the end. Um, Phil like came out and was like, you know, Melo is a player who would be better elsewhere. Like pretty, pretty much saying we want to trade Melo, yeah. uh, which is is wild because obviously the Knicks lose all leverage at that point. It's like, all right, well, we know you don't fucking want him anymore, so why would we give you a lot for him? Uh, so I think it just had everything to do with Phil, and um, you know, obviously Phil left New York before Melo did. Uh, which which was like almost a victory. It was like, all right, good. We got him the fuck out. And then Melo ended up getting traded afterwards. But I, I think it was all Phil. It's weird too, because I mean, like you were saying with Porzingis, I mean, him and KP were, I felt like were really clicking. Yeah. Like I thought they were going to be a, a dope duo together. If you watch, if you go up on YouTube, type in Porzingis highlights, you know, with the Knicks, I mean, half of them are, if not 75% of them are with Melo right by his side, probably making a play for him or something. Yeah. So I've never understood that dynamic. And obviously KP's out of there too. He was like, fuck this. But yeah. Real quick. I, I, I forgot to touch on that, but like the whole Lin thing and KP thing, Melo was mad cool with both of them. Yeah. Like, like you they said, both said that too. They've said yeah. that yeah, since, since forward, no, nobody has an issue with Melo. <laughs> in that organization. Yeah. Nobody. It's just like, again, it's that fucking narrative that people take and they run with when, the Rockets gave Lynn, I think it was like three years, 27 million. And like, they knew the Knicks couldn't match it. So the way they structured the deal was like a little bit, I think it was like, I'm pulling this out of my ass, but like 5 million in the first year, 10 million in the second year, uh, and then 12 million in the third year. Cause they knew that the Knicks like Mello's money was going up and like, they literally couldn't uh, match it. So like Lynn signed the contract. If he wanted to be in New York, he didn't have to sign the contract. He wanted his money. You can't like fault a, a man for that, but yeah, that whole Mello Randlin out shit was so stupid. And then the KP thing, yeah, Mello and KP were they were training together in like the off season and shit. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and like Mello, he never had any help in New York, so why would he be mad at like another legit player next to him? Like, right, eh, stupid. Finally got that help too. And I mean, just I know we're harping on this a lot, or or maybe me specifically, but you know, the Rockets, like he, I can even think of other players that have had their disagreements. Kyle Lowry is one that is prominent name that comes to mind. He had his issues there. Um, I don't even I feel like Lynch should have probably never left the Knicks, honestly, with the way they kind of ousted him. So 
yeah. you know, there that that organization as a whole, maybe people kind of look at it in, in a new light, new perspective. They're like, oh wait, maybe you know, maybe they've had issues for a while now. But now that that Melo is finally settled, he's finally got some superstars and a good supporting cast around him, where he has a legit chance to go win a championship. That kind of means he'll probably be probably playing. I mean, I'm gonna guesstimate maybe like two to four years, uh, probably throughout his career. That being said, you know, for us, you know, as big three guys and, and loving the big three, we were really last offseason, we were really speculating and hoping that we'd see Melo be the the new face of the big three, play for a team like Ball Hogs that has consistently struggled year in and year out. And we we thought he was gonna be the guy. What what's kind of your take on the big three and what of what what are your thoughts on a guy like Melo maybe being a face down the line, like playing a league like that? I think the big three is dope. Uh, I went to the first ever big three, the first ever big three, what do you call it? Like games or like- Yeah, like events. Yeah, yeah, the first one ever at at Barclays Center. When was that? Like two, three years ago. 2017, Um, I was there too. Yeah. So I was hyped, man, because like, obviously we're not like 13 years old where all we know is like Luca and Zion. It's like that, like we- grew up with a lot of these guys like Kenyon Martin is one of my favorite players ever. Um, you know, Allen Iverson, obviously seeing him, even though like that shit did not end well, but uh, I think the league is dope. I think it's, it's just all about names. Like nobody wants to go out and see like no name people. So, you know, the, the bigger the name they get, the more exciting, like they were putting AI space fucking everywhere in the beginning. Yeah. I remember. Yeah. Uh, so I think it's all about names as far as like mellow doing it he's always talked about like retirement and said like as soon as I stop having fun then like I'll hang them up like as soon as I don't like love getting up in the morning and going to the gym and shooting and shit I don't know if that's in a year two years three years I I really think it'll be two to three years max I don't know if he'll, he'll go another four but um with that being said I don't think it's something that he would do just because he, he'll like like I said and like he said he'll retire when he doesn't like doing it anymore and I don't know if like you know doing it in the NBA is different from doing it in, in the big three in terms of like what you're actually doing training playing basketball and shit like that um but yeah a, a lot of people are saying that like yo go to the big three and Ice Cube even came out and he was like like no I don't want yeah. Melo. Mm-hmm. like yeah. he's too good like he should be in the NBA he shouldn't be in this so um, it's interesting to think about. Uh, I doubt it'll happen just because I feel like once he's done with basketball, it'll be like, well, once he's done with the NBA, it'll be, I'm done with basketball because he does a lot of stuff on the side, like his own companies and shit like that. So I feel like he'll just, I guess, focus on that shit more. Yeah. And I think our I take mean, always I, yeah. on Melo and the big three was, was more so like, we were just trying to look for ways where a team would actually see you know, how valued yeah. he, he is and how much he can bring to the table. So I think that was the biggest thing, but, uh, you know. Yeah, I don't, I don't think we were looking for a, for a long-term purchase. I think it was more of a lease. <laughs> and we were like, let's get Mellow for a season. Let's just go crazy and let's get him back to the yeah. NBA. Exactly. They even, uh, the fucking USA team, what was it uh, last year? It wasn't the Olympics, obviously. It was. Oh, it's uh, FIBA. Yeah, FIBA, yeah. World yeah. Cup, right? Like, they didn't even want him. They're like, oh, he's going to be a distraction when he's literally the best player in your yeah, history. Yeah. That's, so that's I, I, I get it. You know, be like, all right, fuck it, come to the big three show. You know, you could still bowl out. Obviously it worked for Joe Johnson and then like I think the Pistons cut him like pretty quickly afterwards, right? 
maybe like a week or two. Yeah, I, th- I think he made it through preseason, and then I think yeah. they cut him for Christian Wood, really, and then that ended up, you know. That makes more sense now, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So what do you think? So what is the future of this? You say Melo has, you know, limited number of years left just because of age. Um, so what happens after, you know, Melo retires and hangs it up? Does this become sort of something that now focuses on another player, someone else's narrative? What What are your long-term goals with this? Or your long-term vision, I should say? Yeah, great question. Uh, I've, like, thought about that before. Really weird. I was literally talking about this not even two hours ago. I had, like, a little town hall thing with with the control crew but um you know obviously we can't do mellow forever as much as i want to uh so at this point honestly it's just more of like a proof of concept thing okay um it's more of a proof of concept thing in the term in, in the sense that you know we can expand it to ever, anything like control the narrative you can do for fucking anything like control the devin booker narrative control the New York Knicks narrative, control the big three narrative, control. And it doesn't have to be basketball. It doesn't have to be sports. It doesn't have to be like anything in specific. It could be something like I was just talking um, earlier tonight about like it being like almost like a 60 minutes type of thing where, you know, it's a different topic every week or, or, or something like that. So I don't know if I'll be the person that would run it just because I'm not, I wouldn't be as passionate about talking about Devin Booker as much as I am like talking about Carmelo Anthony. So it's something that obviously down the line, uh, maybe it's after he retires, maybe it's before he retires. I don't really know because when, when he first signed, everyone's like, yo, you did it. You controlled the narrative. And I was like, no, you have no idea. Like this is just the beginning because now people are going to criticize him even more. Um, and the shit that people are saying to me, like, like the haters after, after Melo's first game, I'm not even kidding. Like there was somebody who said, uh, he, he, he didn't look good. He was jumping for rebounds he shouldn't have been jumping for. And I said, what the fuck does that even mean? Uh, <laughs> That's like a receipt you're definitely keeping and just, just putting on blast one day. <laughs> I was like, what the fuck does that mean? Somebody said, uh, I was like, yo, but there were like a couple calls that could have went his way. So let's say they call a foul for three of them that I think he should have got a foul call. Then it's like four for 11 instead of four for, for four for 14. It doesn't sound as crazy. You know, well, uh, that's how the refs are. They're, they're hit or miss. They're either going to call it or they're not. Like, that's just how the refs are. And I'm like, I was like, yeah, I, I like, I know, but I'm so, so just like, it's the craziest shit. So that was kind of the start of it. Um, but anyway, so yeah, it's just something that like, I'm still thinking about what the right way to transition it out into uh, more of a broad thing um, will be, because like I said, it could be a lot of different things. I'm not going to be the one posting about whether it's like, I don't know, just pulling shit out of my ass, like agriculture, control the agriculture narrative or like control the, um, the, the stationary narrative, whatever the fuck it turns out to be. These people have um, been hating on potatoes for too long. <laughs> you got to cut that like, shit out. <laughs> like shit like that. It's like yeah, yeah. for somebody who's passionate about potatoes. Great. Like come on for a week and like, let's talk about it. Um, but other than that, it, it's going to be tough for me to like be really, really involved with it. So it'll probably be something that I end up like delegating in, in some way or another, but, or it might just be like a mellow thing forever. Um, doubt it, but you know, I think one day, um, and I hope to come back to this, this interview and in, like a few years from now, whatever, when, you know, control the narrative is, is interviewing the president or like some shit like that, where it's like, um, you know, controlling the presidential narrative and like, yo, did you know that this 
this show, this company started out like defending Carmelo Anthony. They're like, what the fuck are you talking about? Like, Go do your research. Uh, so I don't, I don't want to say that's the, that's the end goal, but I can see it going that way if it makes sense. No, but I think you've definitely set yourself up here for success, whether or not it becomes sort of an independent thing or even if it's, you know, an agency that people hire. So even if it's an agency that, you know, the head of potatoes or the president or Devin Booker is like, listen, like, I don't know why, but like everyone fucking hates me. So like, you know, can you go out there, you know, propaganda almost. Exactly. exactly. I mean, we, we have, you know, I wouldn't, yeah, like I I wouldn't call it propaganda, but like we have, uh, Anthony and I know a guy who used to work for the big three, but now he does a thing called Midas Touch, right? Where it was all, is very big, like into Biden and like a lot of like anti-Trump stuff or whatever, but that's really what it was. Like they had stuff trending on Twitter like every week and it was just controlling that narrative of like, okay, what, what aspects about this guy are we going to focus on compared to other aspects? And the fact that you've been so successful with that with Carmelo Anthony, you know, if I'm a player, if I'm a young guy going to the NBA or even anybody, you know, I look at that and I'm like my business, you know, I'm like, yeah. I can definitely use something like that. So I think you've really set yourself up here. No matter what this looks like five, ten years down the road, I think you've done you've done good. Yeah. I, appreciate it, I was going to say, one guy I had in mind, too, you know, and speaking of, like, let's say someone, like, hired you and, like, hey, we really need you to control our narrative. I mean, someone like Sean Oakman, who was, um, a, oh you gosh. know, initially accused of, of rape or, or whatever it was, and then he was exonerated, and it's like, okay, well, he was a big-time NFL prospect, and then he went to the XFL, and that kind of folded. So how do we continue to control that narrative in the right direction and remind people, like, this is who I was before? I mean, like Will was saying, you're doing a lot of good stuff, and I think there's a lot of different ways you can go with it. Yeah, I appreciate the love. Uh, you know, it's like a long run. It's like that. I really didn't even think about people hiring me, but not me, <laughs> control for it. Uh, you know, when you talk about the football player, one thing that came up was, like, I had a guy who was in the NFL and like, I don't want to say a star and I'm, I'm not really trying to drop his name now, but he like tweeted me and we set some shit up. Like this was a year ago and he had some like trouble, like a little bit of a troubled past. And um, he thought he was being blackballed and I guess he was a mellow fan. So he followed from that. But, um, you know, I was talking to him. was like, you know, do you know this guy? I'm pretty sure he was a pro bowler a few years and she like that. He used to, um, play for the Saints, so I'll, I'll let any big football fans figure, figure that out. Uh, but, you know, he reached out and he was like, you know, I want you guys to control my narrative. And I, at first I was just like, this was probably a, at least a year ago. I was like, you know what, like, let's do it. This was pretty early on. So I was just like, yeah, maybe we can expand right now. Um, and it's weird. I literally was recording the interview with them and my computer kept crashing because I was using this program that like was just fucking my shit up and I almost took it as a sign. Like it happened once and I was like, yo, my bad. Like, and I was freaking out. I was like, yo, I got this guy. Like, this is going to be a crazy interview. I don't think I've ever told this story. Uh, I was like, this is going to be a crazy interview. Like, let me get back up and running. So I got it back up and running. I was like, yo, like, sorry about that. My shit crashed. Like, let's just start from the top. We start from this, from the top, not even three minutes in, it crashes again. And I was just like, fucking hey, man, like this shit this is my one opportunity and like, it's going down the drain. And at the end of the day, I think it like happened for a reason because, you know, not to say that this guy's like a bad guy or anything like that, but, um, you know, just sticking to mellow, I think made a lot more sense, especially in the beginning because, um, you know, I, 
if it did go out there, people would have been confused. Like, yo, what is this? Is this everything? And then people, yo, do this guy. Yo, do that guy. Um, so I thought about it. Uh, I, I think that's an interesting pick. I never really thought about like people paying control. Be like, yo, like, talk about potatoes this week. People aren't buying potatoes or whatever the fuck the case is. But uh, yeah, I guess it's just like a wait and see thing. I, I'm not really in a rush because obviously Melo's still playing. So just like trying to have fun with it. Um, you know, optimize the content, uh, reach more people and, and, and all that shit, sell more merch and, and all that shit. But um, yeah, I guess we'll see. But if I ever do that, I'll uh, I'll definitely give you a royalty or some shit. I appreciate it. Love it. You probably have to <laughs> hey, like, let, let me, meet let over me potatoes or something. Yeah, if it becomes a thing, let us know. You know, we're, we're down to help, you know, whatever it is. No doubt. I appreciate that. Yeah, of course. I mean, we got people talking about the big three where, you know, they haven't played since 2019. So that says something. <laughs> yeah, that's what they put on our resume. Yes. Sure. I would say the other big thing or where you've really made your impact has been that, and you talked about this a little bit off camera before, is that you brought a lot of the mellow fans together and you've kind of been, that's kind of a big thing you do with your podcast is you talk with a lot of mellow fans and uh, bring different aspects and perspectives and for that, you know, to the podcast, right. but what, what's kind of that been like just getting to know all these other people, whether it be through social media or, you know, just making connections, you know, what's that been like to just kind of discuss, you know, not only your idol, but their idol as well. And just be able to just talk and reminisce on, on his career. It's been awesome, man. As you can imagine, like, um, I don't know if I, I don't know if I said this off camera or if it was at the beginning of this interview. So my bad for those listening and being like, yo, he already, he just said this fucking half an hour ago. But uh, <laughs> no, man, it's like, you know, during that year, you know, I felt kind of alone. And like, obviously I'll talk to my friends about it and some of them like basketball and shit, but you know, not nearly as much as me and specifically Melo. Like, they don't want to hear every day, yo, uh, Jared Dudley just got signed, but Melo didn't. Like, they don't really care. Um, and just like, just like these like mini rants I was going on. So, it's been really cool uh, to see people who are legit as passionate about Melo as I am. Um, I met uh, one of my close friends, Ricky, at Camp Melo in 2013, and we obviously volunteered for the camp because we both loved Melo. And he's the first person who even came close to like my passion for Mello. Um, and then on the podcast, like the first question I ask is uh, besides like, what's up, how you doing, whatever, is, uh, yo, tell us about your fandom. Like, how'd you start liking Mello? And it's just cool, cool hearing all these stories from like people in Canada to Tennessee to California to all these different places. Um, and, you know, at a time where me and I bet everybody else who was a Mellow fan kind of felt like, you know, we we were the minority because we were. Everybody during that year was like, oh, man, Mellow's watch, like, what the fuck are you talking about? And, you know, you start thinking, if, like, everybody's telling you it, it's really hard for you to, you know, stick with what you know because, like, I knew that Mellow wasn't watched or anything like that. Um, and, like, also, like, in person, you know, obviously I meet, like, a bunch of these people on Twitter, Instagram, and shit, but... Like in person, I've had people coming up to me like, yo, control the narrative. And like out, like I'm at a bar with my friend and, uh, you know, just shit like that in Madison Square Garden, leaving the Knicks, uh, leaving a Knicks game. And I was like, yo, Steve, control the narrative. And like times like that is it's really, really wild because 
like I started this shit and obviously it's not anywhere close to where I want it to be, but just the fact that like, you know, it's some recognition for, for something that, um, you know, you're really passionate about and you can connect with other people. And like, you know, they feel like you like, they're like, yes, like finally somebody's sticking up for mellow and shit like that. It's a, uh, it's a cool feeling. And um, more importantly than that, it's just like, you know, just like sharing some shit that everyone's passionate about and, you know, talking about it. And like, I'll never get tired of talking about Carmelo Anthony. Um, like I clocked in at work today at 9.30, clocked out at six, did a few things for control. And then like, I'm on here talking about Melo for the second time this week. So, like, it's something that like, I'll never get tired of doing. And uh, the fact that like people want to talk to me about it um, and like really get their story out there and get their opinion out there and all that shit. Um, it's really cool. That's sick. And that's sick that people are recognizing you for your work. And like yeah. I said, I've been a big fan and kind of following you. I don't want to say since the beginning, but definitely since at least the beginning of the podcast and when you were a little bit less known, probably people weren't calling your name out yeah. of MSG yet, but super dope. And, and last thing I want to ask, you know, do you have any projects going on that you want to let our listeners or people that are watching know about? Yeah. Um, no documentaries, no more documentaries. For now. <laughs> uh, it's really just like, you know, full, full speed ahead on, on control for the season that's coming up. Um, should be an exciting one. The Blazers should be really, really good, even though fucking people like ESPN think that they won't even make the playoffs, which is just absolutely wild. Um, so we really just like, you know, we have our podcast every week, uh, Wednesdays, 9 o'clock p.m. Eastern Standard Time on controlthenarrative.com, and then it goes up on like Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and shit like that. Um, always posting on Twitter and Instagram, interacting with people. So if you're a Mellow fan, um, check us out there. But yeah, no, no really special projects, just control the narrative, really. If for the people who maybe hadn't have heard of your work beforehand, but now looking to get into it, uh, where's the best place to find you? Yeah, um, at CTRL Narrative on Twitter, Instagram, CTRLTheNarrative.com has like links to our YouTube, uh, Spotify, shit like that. If you want to listen, if you're a, a listener to a podcast and not a watcher, um, and then me at Steve T S A K on Twitter and Instagram, um, we're still like talking about Mellow and shit like that all the time. Dope. Dope. Yep. Super, super appreciative of your time. Looking forward to seeing where you take control and keep controlling the narrative, making sure everyone knows Mello, the real Mellow. I appreciate that, man. Yo, you guys keep going too. Uh, you know, like I said, really fuck with, with, with the angle that you guys are, uh, are taking this and shit like that. I didn't know that there was like anybody who, who did like a, a big three podcast like that. Um, so keep it up. Uh, I'm sure the big three, big three is going to be back next year, right? Yes, we sir. hope so. <laughs> We're expecting it for it to be. Yeah. I say you're certain confidence because I'm an optimist, but. <laughs> yeah, that, that's the dynamic right there. That's, that's the dynamic right there. Yeah. Actually, well, keep it up, man. You, you guys do good shit too. So um, keep up the good work. I check it out here and there. So um, appreciate that. Keep it up. Thank appreciate you. Appreciate that.
Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.